0: Three Way Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Three Way Podcast. We have a very special guest today, uh, Sarah Ann Fox. And you said uh, your friends actually call you or know you as Sarah Ann. Sarah Saran, Ann Fox. Saran. But
1: my nickname is Sarah. Sarah or Sarah Ann. Ann, but never Sarah. Okay. I often joke that Sarah Fox is some other fabulous Jewish woman. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, so uh, we're glad to have you here today. Thank you for coming in short notice. Thank you, Sarah. And uh, just talk about your career. Were you always interested in Hollywood?
1: Uh, Yes, my father, I grew up in Fall River, Massachusetts, and my late father, Seymour Filler, was a lover of entertainment. He subscribed to weekly variety, and I grew up every weekend in the movies. My parents went to the theater. I mean, I grew up in a, quote, cultured home, and I was always fascinated by my father's fascination with Hollywood. And the creativity that's in Hollywood. So as from a young age, I always wrote and had strong opinions. And uh, that included a love of all things filmic and TV. So after I graduated from college, I went to New York and I wanted to work in documentaries. I wanted to do research for documentaries. But I wound up um, ultimately in fundraising for an organization affiliated with the state of Israel. So, you know, you just you can, we can't see around corners. We just never know what is going to pop up. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, I've always movie stars. When I was eight, nine, ten years old, I had, I had, I had, I bought all these movie magazines every week. And I used to cut out the pictures and put them up on the wall. Yeah. Awesome. You know, the dream factory. Yeah, I bought it all. I bought <laughs> and it all.
2: They're definitely... It fired my
1: suits. imagination because yeah. I would go to the movies and come out and I'm sure that when you go to a great movie, you come out and you're in the movie and you kind of carry the aura of the great movie with you. You do. So if it's a musical and there's been dancing, you're dancing down the street yeah. and, and, and a lot of people go to the movies and say that was nice and then they go out for dinner and that's it and that's fine. For me, because of my imagination... And my ability to have a very active fantasy life, movies just fed that.
0: So when did you say that, you know what, I'm going to push this? Uh, and of course, you're serious. But like, when did you say, you know what, I'm going to take this to another level?
1: I never actively said that. Okay. For me, things happened. And I responded. So... uh after I graduated from college, I went to New York. I, had, I had, had lined up a civil service job in the town next to my hometown in Massachusetts, and the plan was for me to work there for a couple of years, live with my parents, and then go to New York. And a friend of my mother said, you'll never leave. You have to go now. You'll get too comfortable, and you'll marry a nice Jewish boy from Fall River, Mass., and you'll never go and live out your dreams. So a week later, I was on a bus to New York. Awesome. And I was working as a Kelly girl, which was temporary secretary work. And I had worked for a safe company, an insurance company, and I said, called my counselor and I said, listen, I'm a graduate of Brandeis University. I'm really smart. I want to do something interesting. And and I went to work on the Dick Cavett Show, which was a daytime talk show he had in, in the late 60s. And I was their uh, receptionist for a couple of months until I was summarily fired uh for a couple because i was late a lot and so uh over the years i've learned you know 10 minutes early (laughs) but it was very exciting for me i used to go to some of the tapings and meet a lot of the famous people and i was very very young i was very for 22 i was really smart but my emotional maturity it took a while to for it to all you know catch up and then i did the uh fundraising thing for for five years but during that time i met my late husband who was a Um, a playwright and a screenwriter. And we got married and moved out of Manhattan to Queens for two years. And then I went on a couple of, I had been on a couple of quiz shows. I was on the original Jeopardy. I won on that and another one. And then I went on the $10,000 pyramid and won uh, $11,400. And he was half through, halfway through a screenplay. I had a job I didn't like. We had no ties to the community. So we took the two dogs and moved to Hollywood and said, we'll stay six months. If it doesn't work out, we can move back. And we <laughs> never went back. I, he proceeded to have a bit of a career and I um, got a job as a director of development for a uh, producer at 20th Century Fox. And all What that took was, somebody said, how did you get that? I said, nepotism. My husband was working for Fox. He was writing a script for them, and he had an office on the third floor of the executive building where all the creatives were, Mel Brooks, the producer of The Omen, Jane Fonda, the Animal House guys. So I wrote a letter to all the producers that he distributed that said, there may be 8 million stories in the Naked City, but... There are 5 million people in L.A. and everyone has a script to go with it. Surely your office must receive its share of scripts. And it turned out that one producer, Michael Greskoff, who had produced, among others, Young Frankenstein,
0: yeah,
1: responded. His development person had left and he needed someone to read all the scripts that were coming into the office because there was a lot of development at the time. The studios were throwing money at producers to develop scripts, hoping that out of the, uh, out of the, uh, the selection would come something that could be made into a movie and be successful. So for a week and a half I, or two weeks, I would come in every couple of days, bring home scripts, tell him what was good, what was not good. And one over the years, one in 100, 150 is good. I only passed on to him what I thought he should read. And then a week, uh, you know, two weeks in, he called me and said, I'm having a meeting with a director and an actress. We're developing a project. I need you to be there. And from then on, I had this job as his director of development for almost five years. During that time, Absolutely. I had two children, two sons who are now grown, and uh, it was an incredible it was an incredible experience and I met movie stars and directors and ate in the commissary and all of that. And the most exciting thing for me to do was to meet the writers that I admired and I got to do that.
0: That's yeah. an incredible story.
1: We made we developed over twenty scripts and we made three movies. Uh Vanna Herzog's Nasferatu. Yeah. you know who Klaus Kinski is? Um if anybody out there listening knows who Klaus Kinski is. I met him when I was pregnant and he scared the heck out of me. Um, <laughs> And Verna Herzog scared me at first, but he's a, he's a really a sweetheart. And then also a Quest for Fire and a movie called um, My Favorite Year was Peter O'Toole. Wow. Yeah. So it was very – and I was in the room when it was thought up. I brought in the original writer and um, the creative the creative process is interesting because you can start a meeting with one concept and an hour later come up something else because three people are just throwing ideas out
0: like if you had to list uh, the basics of uh, being that creative development person what are some of the process that go through with uh, taking a script and trying to bring it to life
1: well first of all you have to be able to recognize good material good writing and understand also who you're working for and what they're looking for so uh, one might come up with, at that time, we were just looking for something that would appeal. We were looking for good writers. And sure. what we would do is they would come in the office and we would say, We like your we think you're a good writer, we're not interested in optioning your script, but what are you passionate about? And they would pitch. They would pitch to us. And other times, my boss would have an idea for something and we'd throw it out to a writer. So, but today, I think it's a little bit more. Um, focused sure. in the sense that when you pitch you have to know who you're pitching to, what studio, what what network, what channel you know what streaming um, company uh, you have to not pitch a rom-com to sci-fi network, for, for instance. so the process is know who you're working for, what they're looking for. Uh, there may be scripts that need rewriting so you're looking for writers in the genre that they're in who can who can do a, a good rewrite or yeah. even not in the genre, but somebody who knows how to take a script that needs work and make better. So first of all, you have to understand the animal, which is your boss, which is your company, and then you have to have taste. You have to be able to (laughs) recognize good writing. Then it becomes interpersonal relationships because if you're in development, you have to be able to engage with people with different personalities I, I have my own business working with writers, and yeah. I have to understand my clients, how to get the best from them, how to talk to them, how to argue with them in, in a good way, to, um, how to communicate with them. So when you're a director of development, you're going to be meeting all kinds of people, having meetings, so you have to be uh, showered, uh, cleaned, um, cleaned up, dressed nicely, um, polite, kind – and able to carry on a conversation and be able to hear sometimes, because writers will come in, they'll be nervous. You have to, you're dealing with people. Sure. And of course, your loyalty to your boss, respecting the chain of command, having a good relationship with him or her, and understanding that it's a small town. It's a very small town, and relationships are everything in this town. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, so you may, one may work for someone and then get a better job or a different job or want to move on, and, and you want to keep your relationship with your former bo- boss so you I tell young people when they're going into the business, don't ever gossip about your boss if you don't like them. Tell your mom, your priest, your therapist, your yeah. wife, your husband. <laughs> you know, keep your even – if, even if they're reprehensible, uh, you wouldn't recommend someone work for them. But you just kind of like play it close to the vest because you don't want to be seen as someone who can't be trusted or won't be loyal. So,
0: Oh, yeah. That's, that's an easy way to get blacklisted. <laughs> yeah, really. What are you doing now? You're a story editor.
1: Right. I work with, I work with writers. So right now I'm, I'm in the middle of reading a novel uh, by two writers and letting them know what I th- think about it as a novel. It's a young adult novel. That's one thing because they trust they've heard about my – that I have a reputation. Yeah. And um, I'm also coming writing a treatment because I'm also a writer. I have an agent that I haven't spoken to for a while, but I am writing a treatment based on the real-life story of uh, uh, a woman from Vietnam. And so I'm writing a treatment based upon her life in the hopes of possibly writing a screenplay, and I'm also rewriting a screenplay of a script that I, of a book that I adapted for a client. I'm doing the the revisions on that, and I uh, read scripts and give critiques and uh, collaborate. I ghostwrite. I do many, many things in my business, and I also um, am Work with a, a writing organization, the Greater Los Angeles Writers Society, that has three conferences a year, and I participate in them uh, by hearing pitches, appearing on panels and workshops. And so I stayed pretty you know, I stay You're pretty, pretty busy. busy. And I also um, worked under uh, Dan Watanabe's Ideas Grant for four or five years You know, as a professional expert in story and screenwriting, and spreading the word about all the jobs in Hollywood, and teaching. Um, people who are interested in getting into the business all the tr- all the tools of the trade yeah. you know
0: it's very important that's incredible you're doing that you- sounds like you have so much experience do you have clients uh that are signed with you, do you uh, or do you just provide the services like being a story editor do you have like uh uh people you represent
1: i don't represent okay. people no and i also tell my clients i'm uh, not in the business anymore yeah <clears throat> excuse me, I'm of the business okay so I'm not going to if you have a script and we I help you get it into shape, I'm not the person who's going to help you get representation. Okay. I do know a few agents and but what the interesting thing is and this is what I've learned lots of times you can do a lot of footwork and get a result. You know we do footwork and the results are really out of our hands. Yeah and so sometimes for me it's been meeting someone at a dinner party or answering the phone. Or I have clients that found me online from Kentucky.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: And when the phone rang, I had no idea this was going to happen. So for me, it's it's not like I don't ever do any footwork. I show up at things. I have business cards. I talk to people. But I have learned to be very patient and not to get invested in results. And it's very interesting because when you, I don't want to get, I will get spiritual. But when you say to the universe, here's my footwork. I showed up. Here's this. Here's that. Things kind of work out in interesting ways.
0: Yeah, definitely does. Yeah.
1: You that's just never know.
2: Uh Sarah, so when you when you get let's say like you have a you get a screenplay or anything like that, is there any key elements that stick out or uh that you look for that should be in there that's not?
1: I happen to read um screenplays down the middle of the page because I am my thing is is screen dialogue. Oh. Cuz with my screenwriting clients I tell them, I can help you with structure, with adding, deleting characters, changing the sex of a character, moving it from Chicago to New York. The butler did it instead of the maid. I can help you with that. We can sit down and restructure. We can do all those things. But what I cannot do is teach you how to write good dialogue. You have to have a good ear. I can show you. I can show you a side of dialogue that's boring and on the nose and too long. And then I can show you a way to rewrite it, how I would rewrite it, because I am excellent at writing dialogue. And, but they have to be able to do it on their own. They have to have a good ear or develop one. I agree. And so, to me, that is the most important thing because lots of times you'll see writing teams, and often that is because somebody's really, really good at dialogue, but is, has trouble with structure.
0: And the other person picks up. The
1: and other person picks up the slack, and then they read. You know, they they work together. Yeah. It doesn't. It isn't that this one has that alone, and that one has that alone. But people have greater strengths in certain areas. And so, um, but screen dialogue moves the plot along, uh, reveals character and intent. And yes, of course, it's a visual medium. So, you know, your descriptions need to be spare and indicative of what's going on. Sure. And never revealing what the characters are thinking. So what I'm looking for is is, um, ability, is some ability and someone who has a good sense of story. But everybody... And everybody is at, a, is at a different place. Oh, yeah. So working with, uh, with neophyte uh, screenwriters who really don't know what they're doing, it's really basic, basic, basic. So they get assigned a lot of movies to watch and listen to, turn their back to the screen and listen. And then with somebody who's further along the way, it's refining it. It's helping them cut, move things around. So every client is different. But what I look for is a modicum of talent and ability. And I don't like to. I have never turned anyone away, but I've often had to be very, very honest with people and say you might be better off writing this as a novel, yeah, because your prose description is amazing, and I can see this as a novel, or hiring someone to work with you, you know, or finding a partner, you know. So the main thing for me is 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 a modicum of talent and a willingness. I think that. In all aspects of life, all we're asked is to be willing and teachable, right? Yeah. Willing and teachable. So if somebody's willing and teachable, then I can help guide them to a place where they can maybe get better or take it in a different direction. Um, For me, it's a way to make a living, but also I'm I'm not here to take someone's money. I'm here to help them and and make a living. Yeah. So I'm always advocating for the material.
0: I feel like that's important because you want... If the only way you're going to grow is if you get the honest shoot. Because so I'm a writer. And, like, I'm all, every time I give my script out to a friend or someone to read, and I tell them, I'm like, please be brutally honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to get upset. But, like, if you're not honest, I'm not going to take anything that I need to You're not going to learn fix. from it. Yeah. I'm not going to learn from it. I want the honest shoot. So if it's being ruthless and, like, hurting me, I'm not going to be hurt. I want to fix the script. I want to yeah. make it work. That's the whole point.
1: Yeah and it's it's and it's hard to hear some people have no problem when someone gives them notes and and i have a friend who's a successful screenwriter has had movies made and we were at a um a workshop uh for a, an organization that we're affiliated with where we mentor and consult and uh, we were talking about rewrites, and he said, Oh, when I hand in my first draft, I hate getting notes because my baby's perfect. <laughs> and I laughed. I said, I, I really, really understand. For some of us, it's a little harder to hear notes because it's like a child, it's like someone criticizing your beloved child. But I think once one can get past one's defenses and hear, especially when people get invested. Yeah, if people yeah. really like the script and it needs work, yeah. you can tell when people are like just pulling your chain or being critical for the sake of it and other people say, wow, I think this should happen because in that scene, this works, but th- then you've touched somebody. Yeah. You, you understand? And they're invested in helping you make it better because they like it. And it's different.
0: Like if you have someone that's a professional screenwriter <laughs> and uh, he doesn't want to hear anyone's like I- opinions... That is different, but if you're an aspiring screenwriter just starting off, you better be open to
1: Yeah, absolutely. Criticism. And even the professionals, they're hired unless they're they, – all of them are hired hands. Um, even when they write a script, a spec script, and when they write for their own, you know, not getting paid, and they, but they want it to be optioned or, or bought by a studio or a production company, they have to hear hear notes. But they might have because they're financially okay and they can have, They can pick and choose. Yeah. They can hear notes from somebody and say, nah, they really don't get this. So the notes for a writer need to line up with somebody sees my vision. Somebody loves my characters and yeah. likes this story and wants to make it better. Someone else is just criticizing me because they need to justify their job. You know? You just have to be <laughs> careful in this town yeah. when you do get notes.
2: <laughs> just I feel like uh, – we talked about this earlier, but like I feel like more nowadays they're more sensitive. I don't know what happened like to good old taking criticism. Like mm-hmm. especially if it's gonna help you grow as a person. I feel like it's it's being a little sensitive and ego, like is really blocking them from growing as a human being. Like you gotta be open to take all types of criticism and learn. Like it, the yeah. whole thing is you're learning and you never stop learning. And it's, it's better when somebody who's experienced it to hear from them and get idea. Because uh, again, it's not one way of thinking. You're trying to reach a broader, broader audience.
1: I, I will tell you, I think one of the hardest things for me, um, and you know, piggybacking on what you're saying, Vasily, is um, as as a mother, uh, when my sons have had to tell me something I'm saying or doing bothers them or upsets them, and they're not, and and, and that's the. First of all, I don't deny their perception. I've learned the hard, you know, not to deny their perception of reality, to respect their feelings, yeah. not try to talk them out of it. And then to take a, it's the hardest thing to take a look, for instance, in your personal life at your own behavior when someone you love and respect tells you, hey, that's not okay or that hurts, hurts me. So the, rather than get defensive, but it takes a, it takes a lot. Uh, some of us, come, we come to it, hopefully when we come to it, to say, you know, you're right. Yeah. I apologize and I am going to look at that, you know, then, then they stop. But when you defend yourself, when, when you're wrong, when you've been wrong. Yeah. So I think, you know, that's like a template for, for me for maturity. And, and it's a one day at a time, you know, to be in that, you know, that's what they call that space to take it into the professional world, especially when you've got something you've created, you've had in your mind, you've labored over And and so I think that for, for all any writers listening, be, be careful who you show your scripts to. If you feel that someone who's interested in your script, is not going to serve your material and you, you have to feed by, you know, baby needs a new pair of shoes, then you may have to go with that person, but try and affiliate yourself with people who are going to respect your vision and be excited by it and want to make your, your, your script better.
0: I love the
2: tips. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know what it is too? Like even acting class-wise, like when you say it like that, like I feel like it's not like you're babying them. But like if you're showing the same enthusiasm as as they feel for that project, like it's different. It kind of motivates them to do better or uh, try to shoot for maybe the impossible.
1: I also think this goes back to um, we do, we, we are creatures who do live in the moment. I mean, we're filled with memories and, oh, yeah. and, and the anticipation of the future or the fear of the future, or whatever. But the interesting thing for me is, is, I never know in any situation, whether it's a dinner party or a meeting with a prospective client or um, someone who wants to partner with me on a workshop, a writing workshop, anything, anything that I show up for. Sometimes it's just picking up the phone and and saying yes. I never know what the results are going to be. And for me, when I relax and say yes as often as possible to invitations and opportunities, I mean, it sounds corny, but for me, it's like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. You know, we can't see around corners. So my advice to anybody who wants to get into this business or any business or just life go on the blind date. You can make an excuse and leave after 20 minutes if they're really a jerk or <laughs> yeah. whatever, you know, be safe, meet in a public place, blah mm-hmm. blah blah, but say yes to as much as possible and also learn to say no when your gut tells you to say no. Yeah. But uh, for me, what I used to do was was if I said no to something because I was exhausted or there were going to be 12 people there I really didn't like or whatever, I would feel like I'd missed out, you know, the whole thing of missing out on something. And what I realized is if I am in line with that gut thing where you just know I'm okay. And other times I'll say no because I'm being a pain in the neck in my own life. No, i Oh no. Why are they inviting me? They love me. They want me to come over. Oh, the heck, you know, just getting (laughs) into like that whiny space. Um, I just take a shower, get dressed, perfume, makeup, and I go and I have a great time. So for me, I can be very contrary and I can say no just I'm, just because. And what I've learned is to override myself. You know, I think one of the things where we know our weaknesses, we know our stuff. Um, lots of times, for instance, I will meet a new person, and in my head, I'm like super judgmental. And what judgmental is, is judging someone on superficialities. In in life, we make judgments which are wise and reasoned yeah. to, to, to take care of ourselves. So they're two different things, right? Judgmental means I'm gonna serve my ego. I'm better than you, I'm less than you. You know, Oh, I have prettier hair. Oh, she's thinner than me, you know, whatever. That's judgmental. And for me, my brain goes all this, and then the minute I start talking to someone, it all goes away. And I'm just kind and nice and gracious and I get to know them. So I think uh, taking that life skill and knowing knowing my defects of character, as they say in the 12-step programs, um, and working, uh, taking contrary action and not being a spoiled brat, if I can take that, if anyone has any defects of character or weaknesses or whatever, and take that and take a look and how am I going to override them when I'm in a professional setting? How am I going to be respectful and open and I don't have to accept every single note I'm given, but if somebody gives me a note about my script and I don't agree with it, but then I think about it and I write it that way, but it, and then it leads me to something else, it leads me to something else. Because because two people can be in a room having ideas back and forth, and out of it can come a third idea from the synergy, right? Yep. Because all creative story conferences are this. They are a series of two words, what if. It's a series of what ifs. Well, what if, what if, well, what if. How about what if, what if that's all it is when, you know, at the highest levels people are sitting and either talking about an idea for a movie or looking at a draft of a script and going through it and hoping to make it better. What if, well, what if we move the scene to there? Well, what if he's not 27, but he's 37 because you understand what I'm saying? Definitely. Mm-hmm. And so for me in life, and I'm not here to be someone's guru, but for me in life, I say, well, what if I say yes to that invitation? Even though all I want to do is stay on the couch and watch the Dodger game. I have DVR. That's why God made, you know, TiVo and DVR. And I can watch it when I come home. So, you know, I, I just go through the motions. I get in the car and I go and I meet somebody who needs a writer or, you know, at some point maybe I will go into a dinner party and meet my second husband because my, fa- my father, my husband died about 20 years ago. I just never know, you know. So say yes as much as possible as long as it's not illegal or dangerous, yep, you yeah. know. Uh, say yes as much as possible, because you can always leave, you know, you can always leave. And there's something about the energy when you walk into a room. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to a um, organization, I was invited to a uh, luncheon, and there was a speaker and something I'm interested in. And uh, they charged me $40, which is fine. The beautiful, beautiful setting. And the people who run it, I, I know them, they're very nice. But I didn't know anybody else. And I went there, and uh, I walked into the room, and the energy was so low. People were not very friendly, only my friend and his wife, and one other person were really open. Uh, there it, it was just, and the food was terrible.
0: <laughs>
1: and the speaker was pretty good, but I'd never gone back. They have monthly meetings. I've never gone back <laughs> because the energy wasn't yeah. right for mm. me. And I can go other places to work out, you know, to meet other people who have interest in this subject, right? Sure. So I said no. Never told my friend why, because I don't want to hurt his feelings. I just said, you know my schedule. And you're in Tarzana, and I'm in Silver Lake, and blah, blah, blah. You know, I, sometimes not telling the whole truth is, is helpful. Um, but for me, I just didn't want to be around that energy. And it just felt unfair. I agree 100 And the food was not good. And I'm <laughs> going to pay 40 bucks for lunch. That food better be good.
0: <laughs> no, I, I was
1: know. grateful for the opportunity, and I did say yes.
0: And that's important. Uh, we we have to say yes more. Like, you're right. You're absolutely right. Say yes, go go experience it. If it's something that doesn't really fit you, you feel out of place. But the environment makes a difference too. Like that like you say, like if you go where
2: you feel the, the energy is kinda of negative, it kinda of makes it torture, it's miserable. I feel like when people you know? aren't
1: friendly and the lesson is be friendly, be nice. Yeah. You know? Be nice to that person in the corner, you know, tell a joke to compliment them on their scarf or their blouse, ask them how they know the host. You know, I think that uh, one of the things telling people when they come into this business is what is networking? Networking isn't just going to an event or um, hanging out with other people to get what you want. I mean, that's part of it. It's to give. So if you meet Steven Spielberg at a, at a networking event or something and he's talking to you and giving you advice or whatever and gives you his card, you, you have a business card and you give him your card and you say, Mr. Spielberg, thank you so much for talking to me. Listen, if there's anything I can ever do for you, pick up your dog at the vet, take you close to the end. Of course, he'd never call you because he has people who do that. <laughs> but but and I'm not giving an extreme example. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. you always say, what can I do for you? Because... There's some way – as long as you offer everybody, have a business card. If you're one of those people who is on set and you don't know whether you want to be a director or a gaffer or, or, or any of it, have a, have a card that says production. Okay. And you're doing all these things on different – It's like know, an umbrella grounds. pretty much, Say production. Yeah. Have, a, have a business card that you can give out. Offer people help. Uh, if you're, st- if any students are listening, and you're at film school, or there are short films, student films being made all the time, volunteer to be craft service, to be a second AD. You know, show up and do it for nothing because the people that you're working with on this are your network. In ten years, you'll be working together in Hollywood with these people. Oh yeah. Make your connections and keep up with your connections, and always be there for other people unless they're going to be. Uh, crappy to you.
0: What is one memorable experience uh, that you had with a director when you were a development
1: executive? Uh, We developed My Favorite Year. Um, It started off as an idea for a Western, a road picture. And then my boss, Mike Gruskoff, and Mel was around the corner, Mel Brooks said, I've always wanted to do some experiences working on your show of shows, which was a live one-hour comedy show in the early 50s that Mel Brooks and Neil Simon and many other, and Woody Allen worked on with Sid Caesar, who was this big bear of a comedian, very physical, very talented, very brilliant. And Mel would tell stories. They worked at 30 Rock, and he, he one time he hung Mel out the window. Um, he was crazy and talented. And the writer's room, it was – and he used to tell stories about it. And so Michael said, I've always wanted to do a film about that. And we came up with this idea that a um, – errol flynn type character who was kind of washed up would come and be on the show and blah 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 so we took it to mel around the corner and the rest is history the way you say oh this we're looking for a director so we make a list of who we think would be right and then we call their agent not available not because it's all about schedule schedule comes first so richard benjamin an actor was like 7th or 8th on our list. And one Sunday the the writer, the, the, we we went through a bunch of writers, but the final writer my boss and I went to Richard Benson Benjamin's house in Beverly Hills, and he was married to an actress Paula Prentice. We met her, and we had a meeting with him. He'd read the script, and he became our director. So the let so the experience was you you chances are you will not get the actor actress director who's number 1 on your list. Yeah. Because they either don't like it or they're not available or You know the money's not right. So it's just amazing that anything, not only anything gets made, but anything good gets
0: made. It's crazy how it works out. So uh, what do you say to uh, new uh, screenwriters that, uh, what are some ways to look for a writing partner? How would you go about that?
1: Well, you don't always have to like the person or be best friends with them. Uh, You can look at writing partnerships where they were, the two writers were very, very different. But you have to, a lot of times you'll be in the same room. I had a writing partner and we were in the same room. And she was a pacer, and I would lie on the couch and read the paper because she was so worried about structure. And I used to just listen to her and then just eventually put the paper down. And, you know, I was like trying to relax my way into the <laughs> into the process, but she was very good at structure. Um, and she happened to be my best friend. So that worked out. They don't have to be your best friend. They have to be someone you can come to terms with creatively. Lots of times they might be in Idaho when you're here. I know Back in the 80s, there was a writing duo. I can't remember their names. They didn't live in the same town, but they exchanged pages and they talked on the phone. So you're looking for somebody who has talent, obviously, and someone you can communicate with. It doesn't mean you're always going to agree or you're always going to get along, but that you can come together and create something. And so everybody's different. So it's it's like dating, you know? But you don't have to marry them and you don't even have to really like them all that much. You have to have some respect for them. Sure. And also... You have to be able to, if you're interested in a genre, you have to be able to write a script that reflects the genre at its highest level, which means that someone like me who's not terribly interested in science fiction, horror, or fantasy, that if you take me to see a really great science fiction, horror, or fantasy film, it's going to transcend the genre because it's going to be a great story and it really doesn't matter about the genre. I'm going to be drawn to it to find out what happens next. You know, on my email... Underneath my signature, I have a quote from Pat Conroy, the writer of Prince of Tides and The Great Santini, and he wrote the four most powerful words in English are tell me a story. And for me, storytelling has eight words, tell me a story and four four other words, and then what happens? Shakespeare to (laughs) soap operas, and then what happens? It's all we want to know. Whether it's you know the evil twin's going to get their way. Evil twin's going to get her way. And the, excuse me, the soap opera, or will Hamlet kill himself?
2: Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Sarah, So, what do you do like when you're not working? Like, what do you do for fun? What do you hobbies, hobby wise, or uh,
0: well, get away from? I
1: like to cook because I watch so much on the Food Channel, and when I'm at the cooking myself, so I realize that I'm using the things I've learned. It's almost like osmosis. Like, yeah. oh, texturally, I need something crisp. You know, so <laughs> I like to cook. I read, I walk, I walk in the mornings, and I watch great TV and movies.
2: Nice. Awesome. Any particular like, TV show? And music, show? of course, music. You know. Any like TV show that you really follow? Or Well,
1: I just finished, um, I had to catch up, the fourth season of Peaky Blinders on oh, Netflix. Oh, wow.
2: I love that one. That was Brilliant. really good. I can't wait for it to Brilliant. come back.
1: And now it's coming back in a month, yeah. the 4th of October. And I am making my way through the third season of GLOW, The Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, mm-hmm. on Netflix. And uh, a lot of people have criticized that season, and I like it. I like what they're doing with the season I
2: mean, it, you know I, I watched all, all of them the third one I kind of got stuck after the second episode but like it seems a little bit slower paced I don't it's know, like- slower
1: paced and, and it's really focusing not so much on perform on their yeah. performances but on the relationships. Yes. Yeah. yes and I'm a girl and I like relationships you know
2: <laughs> <laughs> Mark Maron actually like on that yes. show too Like, he's awesome he's
1: amazing he's and, what awesome. and what they're setting up with him and um, Ruth yeah I mean um, all you want to do is for them to be together yes know? Yes. And and when her boyfriend is acting funny and sweet and nice, I'm angry because I wanted to break up with him. <laughs> <laughs> so, it see how invested we get.
0: Yes, I mean <laughs> 100%.
1: The, the challenge for any great writer or any good writer is to make your audience invest in the characters and the outcome of the story. You're right. I you know what happens to them. I care. You know, and there are times when I'm watching something and I'm so invested and, of course, there's this suspension of disbelief. You can't be so sophisticated that you go, oh, yeah, this is just a movie. That's not really blood. He didn't die. In our minds at that time, that person died, got injured, lost their child, you know, the whole thing, is that sometimes I have to stop it because I get so upset. Yeah, yeah. I get so – the older I get, the more upset I am when bad things happen. But I, I barrel through it because – because you know
2: you're emotionally like invested pretty much, and, and so you, you and you're right about that. Like, there's pro- great story. No, probably. it is. Yeah, because like TV shows, you watch like if a character gets killed off, you're like, you're, like there's episodes I've seen where a character died off. I'm like, like you, you feel like somebody died. Like, okay, you're, I, you're, you're, it's hard know, to get. The, up. I
1: don't want to give anything away because some people may not have seen it, although it came out two years ago. But the fourth season of Peaky Blinders, have you seen it? Yes. Somebody dies. I think you know who I'm talking yes. about towards the end, yes, and I got so freaking upset, and I was watching with my older son, who had already seen it but mm-hmm. was watching it with me. and I stopped it. I, st- I put that, put it on pause and I said, what? what? no, he can't no, no, no. And then we continued watching. and well, whatever. And so I was so upset, I almost said, I can't I actually I said, I can't watch this anymore. <laughs> I love him so much, I can't watch yeah. this anymore. And so, well, you know what you know what eventually happened, but it, it, it was very, very upsetting oh, for me. Yeah. But somebody had a T-shirt that said, "I don't care who dies in the movies as long as the dog lives." <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes we're more upset when an animal, when a dog. I
2: swear, like I, I find myself when I when I'm watching too, like if an animal is gonna die or something. It's harder for me to take that one. I know. I'm like no, like they're innocent. It's like yeah,
1: they, it's like
0: children. It's like yeah, yeah the
1: innocent, yeah.
0: That's how I felt about the uh, SoA Sons of Anarchy yes. when uh, Opie uh, got killed in the prison. In prison, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so difficult to watch that scene. because
1: you loved him, you were yeah, you yeah. Great character. It's really interesting. And then you know that after that scene was shot, he got up and they all went to lunch, and he yeah. right. the its the door. Yeah. And, it's <laughs> home. And, it's, and the suspension of disbelief, which means that we buy into it as if it's really happening, yeah. is really important. It's it's. Um, It's vital no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. When The Sixth Sense came out 20 years ago, uh, there were people, you know, I was speaking to them about it afterwards, and they said, oh, I knew five, ten minutes in that he was dead. And I said, oh, poor you. (laughs) Because the audience was happily fooled.
0: Yeah. Yes. Happily fooled. Mm-hmm.
1: And if you got it, well, good for you. You can go, yay, mom's brilliant. But you, <laughs> how could you enjoy this movie? You can. Donald. Or someone like in the crying game said, well, I knew it was a boy. Well, you know, tough. Yeah, what, what, yeah you, don't brag about it because what it means is that the enjoyment of the story and the audience loves to be fooled, doesn't like to be made fools of, and there's a fine line between fooling us you know, surprising us and making fools of us by not having um, a denouement, a climax, an ending that's satisfying, by pulling the rug out from under us, by doing what Dallas did in the last finale, the the finale, where it was all a dream. Yeah. Or in a, a wonderful show from the 80s called St. Elsewhere, but a hospital in Boston, where everything that happened over six or seven years was in the mind of an autistic child who was one of the oh, characters. Wow. I mean, it was... It was like it annoyed people. And one of the reasons why so many fans of Game of Thrones I, I didn't feel this way because I binged seventy two episodes yeah. <laughs> in a month and then watched the finale. Yeah. But people who had waited several years felt cheated because they felt it was a cheat.
0: And yeah, I've for heard a lot that.
1: of people to, to them it was. To me I, I got it. Yeah. You know, and I I thought, yeah, they could have they could have done this differently, but I wasn't offended. But a lot of people...
2: I agree with you 100% on that. I I wasn't offended. I
1: got why Daenerys did that. I totally got it.
2: Uh, I agree 100%. It made sense.
1: Yeah. she had Her her lover rejected her. She had lost Jorah. She had lost her best friend. She Mm -hmm. saw her beheaded in front of her. She was... Maybe it was that time of the month. Who knew? But she kind of went off the deep end Mm -hmm. and used that power for... Not in a positive way. And yeah... But I got it. I mean, I totally got it. And I would have loved to. I'd love to see what happened to. Um, and I now I can't remember her name. But the the younger one who goes off to oh, the west. Oh, uh, amazing! Aria. Aria, Aria. I would yeah. love to see Aria's story. I agree. And it was so wonderful to see the growth of. Um,
2: Sansa. Sansa, thank yes, you yes. to
1: see her growth as a character mm-hmm. and to watch them grow as actors. And
2: she actually, we know like they all they grew up on the show, yeah. but like you see the arc, like the yeah. changes they go through, yeah. like as they're getting older on the show, And, it's and crazy. the physical,
1: every season yes. you go, oh my god! And Bran, how he went from that cute little boy and he, then his voice lowered. It.
2: Yeah,
1: it was just wonderful to watch all, yeah. all the youngsters, as you say. Grow but you up weren't. On the show. We,
2: you weren't. The other part was like you weren't waiting for him to like actually admit like. I've been waiting to be pretty much the king. That's why I'm here. That was a crazy comment. Yeah, yeah. That was was crazy. But I
1: understand. Well, first of all, all right, if you are so... Get a life. What did did Shatner say? Get a life? (laughs) I I think – and I'm not here to lecture anybody because, listen, I've had my crushes on movie stars and stuff, you know, and uh, have you have an active fantasy life. But I think that one of the dangers of getting so involved in video games and Dungeons and Dragons and Game of Thrones is don't do it at the expense of a personal life, you know. There are times when we've all done it, Mm -hmm. when we're just – we take time off, you know, we've had a breakup or we're depressed or whatever – but but if you live your life that way, I mean, go to Comic-Con, dress up on Halloween, but date, get married, have children, you know, yeah. have friends, you Experience, know what i get right. off you gotta your live. phone, you, gotta you know. Live.
0: That's, that's, a, that's, that's another one, get that, off your phone. That's one sure. of the ways, like social media, whenever I want to watch a specific show or movie, I'll never go online and like read people's opinions because I'm like – they're going to ruin it. Yes. I want to see it firsthand before I see what other people Absolutely. want. Then
1: I read everything. Yeah. And I yeah. the external reviews exactly. and the user reviews and see if I agree. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I want to form my own. Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, people yeah. are saying it's too long. It should be edited down. And I'm thinking, no, it's got a rhythm all its own. Exactly. And he's very uh, – Tarantino is very concerned with movement. If you look at the opening of Jackie Brown, it's a long scene of her walking through LAX through that tunnel, through yeah. the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And also the, 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 the um, Reservoir Dogs poster. Yeah. They're walking. So you've got Polanski and Tate walking through LAX. You've got Brad Pitt driving a lot. It's, mm-hmm. it's like we walk towards an uncertain future.
0: That's, that's incredible. And
1: I found that the rhythm of, I thought it was, I would not cut a thing. I wouldn't cut a thing. And also, a lot of people think, well, Margot Robbie should have had more lines as Sharon Tate. Her spirit, he talked, it was infused into the film. And yeah. she had that great scene in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she has uh, dialogue at a certain point in, in, in the film.
2: But you yeah. get a really good sense of her, though. Like, oh, You get a beautiful, because yes. of the
1: acting mm-hmm. and how she was directed. Yes. I didn't need her to talk more. Yeah. She loved, she was a lovely person. She wanted to get a special gift for her husband. She had great friends. She was dancing with at the party. Right? She was an, she loved, she's an actor, she loved seeing herself on screen, but she was so polite in asking if she could come in and watch the film. Yeah. She was a lovely, lovely person.
0: I I loved it. Like, uh, initially when I was first watching it, of course, the ending, it gives you a better perspective. I and then when I saw the film. ending, I'm like, wow. I was at an awe moment where I'm like, well, it makes I, sense. It, it felt so good just to watch the story that and We're not
1: going sense. to spoil it for yeah, no, 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 no. everybody.
2: But it was great.
1: It was great. And I think Tarantino, as a director, relished the freedom of being able to do that for, yeah, a, for a broken heart.
2: Exactly. Because honestly, like when I... Up until that part, I'm mean, I'll, I'll say this, but up until that that walking up the street part, like I was, I felt so nervous. I'm like, I, I
1: don't want to see. The way he did it, the yeah. way he did it with um, Kurt Russell's voiceover.
2: Oh man! And yeah. with that
1: wonderful scene of all the iconic um, signs, the El Cholo sign, yeah. the Russell and Frank sign of them lighting up, and he's going through the day. You do. I mean, I it, I think it's his it's his masterpiece. Mm-hmm.
0: It is. It is. I and agree. I
1: think uh, for me. You have two. I think DiCaprio is the greatest actor of his generation. Hundred percent. I think he's and um, Pitt, of course, is a great actor. Mm-hmm. He's an underrated comedic actor. I mean, in *Glorious Bastards*, he played Floyd, the roommate in *True Romance*. Remember the? He was the marijuana smoking oh, wow. roommate on the couch. Yeah. Says to the uh, to the mafia guys, "You wanna you wanna smoke a joint, <laughs> yeah. a DVD or something?" Oh, I didn't even remember. He was that Floyd, the, the roommate, the annoying wow. roommate. They're two great actors who are also movie stars. For me, it means when they're on screen, you can't take your eyes off them. You can't take your eyes off I them agree. no matter what they're doing. I agree. It's something about their faces. And they don't have to be super gorgeous, although so, that's nice. Yeah. But they have something. Betty Davis, Barbara Stanwyck yeah. were not beautiful women. When you look at Betty Davis and you look at Barbara Stanwyck, they were not beautiful women. But when they're on screen, that's it. You know, that That's all you're looking at. Yep. And then you have Elizabeth Taylor, who was the double Mary. You know. <laughs> she, but she wasn't a great actress. She was a good, act, good enough actress, but she was a movie star. Yeah. For me, to be able to sit and watch these movie stars, and then all the guest stars. And so I'm very admiring of what he did. I'm yeah. you, because I saw Pulp Fiction once, and once was enough. I will watch the dance season, the dance uh, scene many times because when we saw them in the packed movie theater, when Travolta was dancing with Uma Thurman, when yeah. he got up to dance, there's this murmur through the audience: "Travolta's dancing" because he's a, It's iconic from his films, right? Saturday yeah. Night Fever, Grease, oh, yeah. and this. And so that's the power of film, of movie stars, of of of. Things that they impart to us, how they fire our imaginations, mm-hmm. how they, they enter our DNA. One time I was, um, when I worked at Fox, I was walking back from the commissary to my office and a man is approaching me from, I don't know, block away, block and a half away. And I'm looking at him and I recognize his body. And I'm thinking, is that my dad? Well, my dad's back in Massachusetts. Is that my husband? No, he's home with the kids. And then I, I said, who is it? Not my brother. He's in Maine. Who is that? And as he approached, I realized it was Paul Newman.
0: Because (laughs) I've seen him on
1: screen so much, his physicality is in my DNA. His physicality is is in my DNA. And so the the iconic quality of movie stars uh, to to filter into our imagination and take them over. And um, it can lead to very terrible things like stalking and all of that. But I think that They take us into a world and make it come alive, and I think that for me, as a writer, as a story editor, it's all in my DNA. I've seen so many films, read so many scripts, and I tell um, aspiring screenwriters and students, film students, Google the AFI's 100 Greatest American Films, and then watch them all. Oh, yeah. And then do the same thing with the foreign films, because they will get in. You need to have a film vocabulary. Now, there are people who don't go to the movies a lot, (laughs) who've sat down and Right off the bat, wrote a great script because they have an imagination. There are no, you know, follow the rules. There are no rules. However, for your pleasure, for your education, watch these movies, you know? So many people haven't seen movies that were made before 2010. So you need to know the history of film.
0: I agree. What's uh, one way uh, for uh, screenwriters to reach you?
1: The website looks a little funky. We're we're working on getting that fixed, but all the information is there. So that's just a warning. It's S A R A space A N N E space F O X and my web and my um, website is www.fox F O X dash editswork.com F O X dash E D d in David i T as in Tom S is in Sam W O R K dot com I'll give my phone number yeah, yeah, because, yeah, yeah, because it's a it. voicemail 323 323- 460 If you've liked what I've had to say, you might want to contact me to see if some way we could work together. Give me a call uh, or contact me through my website because my, um, my email is on there too. That is S A R A, my email. I'll give my email. S A R A A N N E dot fox at att.net. That's my full name, S A R A A N N E dot F O X at A T T dot net. You know, in, in now or in the future, whatever, but I've just been so happy to come by and talk to you two guys. Thank, Thank you so
0: much for having me. Thank you for, Thank man, you for being such a great
1: host. I mean, I can't tell you, There's, I didn't follow a, a one, blueprint. two. I did this a blueprint. Read scripts, yeah. go to networking events, and see what happens. So, I agree. so you volunteer to read friends' scripts, put the word out, you know, hone your craft, but make sure that you know how to read a script and what to look for and what your taste is and also work on your communication skills because you're going to have to talk to people and talk coherently
0: yeah, about true.
1: about your opinions and what you think something needs to, to make it better. Be interested in other people when you network, ask to be of service to them, you know, make your relationships and... Um, Always return all your phone calls by the end of the day. That was another piece of advice my producer boss gave me. He said, who are you not to return your phone calls? So, you know, be open to possibility. Be open to anything can happen.
0: Go out.
2: Say yes. Yes, That's right. Right. Say yes. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for coming, everyone. So uh, all the information will be available on our social media. And if you have any questions, any advice, feel free to contact us on our email. And thank you for listening. in. Thank you. Good night, guys.